This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. Well, he is so faithful. What, what a blessing. Let's prepare our hearts for the word today. We're going to go over to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter number four. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. Speak to us today. God, you've been faithful and you've been good. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go to this Old Testament prophet by the name of Zechariah, not to be mistaken with Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. Um, Zechariah, and I'm going to teach you a little bit. This is the way I do the Bible college. Uh, I'm going to teach you a little bit from here today, okay? But Zechariah's book is placed right at the end of the Old Testament. There's uh, one other book before the end of Malachi, and then we see 400 years of silence. Anybody ever felt like God went silent in your life? Yeah, could you imagine 400 years of silence? The people of God desperate to hear from him, and God working a plan for his glory, working something for all of our good. And so 400 years of silence begins, but before he gets to that point, we find Zechariah's message. And here's what Zechariah said. We've had a powerful, powerful day today. I don't know what all God's going to speak to us today, but I know he's going to change our hearts today because we've already seen souls saved and literally dozens and dozens of people respond to the core principle of this message. So today we begin in Zechariah chapter number four and verse number 10. It's, on, uh, it's going to come up on the screen behind me here. It says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Now, many of you may notice this passage. It's a very popular passage. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Then we see the seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. And then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on each side of the lampstand? And what are the two olive branches that pour out golden oil through two gold tubes? Man, you don't have to shout me down on this passage today. Some of you are going, where are we going with this? All right, don't you know? He asked. No, my Lord, I replied. And then he said to me, They represent the two anointed ones, I've purposely left in the scriptural notation there, who stand in the court of the Lord of all the earth. Now, nobody's shouting over this passage. And the truth is, this passage is one of the greatest passages in scripture. But we've got to find out how to understand this passage. You see, what we've been studying is the book of Daniel and how that so many times we just read past things we don't understand. And because we don't understand them, we just kind of keep going. And as we keep going, we miss the truth that God's trying to speak to us. 
And God's trying to change our lives through passages. And in America, we're trained to look for these encouraging verses, underline them and highlight them. And so we'll find most often that scripture that says, don't despise the day of small beginnings because we talk about it when churches launch and all these different things. And, and, and that, that one's underlined. And then maybe the, the eyes of the Lord are looking through the earth. We'll underline that. But the rest of this, we kind of miss the beauty of the moment. We miss it. Now, look, it's going to take us a little while to get there. I was on about a two and a half hour ride with uh, an older gentleman this week, and, and this is what he said to me. He said, we're not there yet, but we're closer than when we started. Now, listen to me. We're just getting started, and we're not there yet. And you may not understand this until I get into the depth of it, but it's worth the drive. It's worth the ride. And so we're going to take this journey because guess what? We're not there yet but we're already closer than when we started because now we have an application, a starting point, and we're starting to dive into this. Now, how are we going to understand a passage like this? Well, you have to realize that when we talk about the Word of God in a passage like this, we're talking about passages that were written thousands of years ago that were translated thousands of years later and then have, have been almost 400 uh, and plus years since they were translated into English for us. And so there's a translation problem. And this translation problem is, is more because we don't understand what was trying to be said. I mean, you know, sometimes you don't need a translation, you need an interpretation. Let me just make it real plain for you. All right? I have a friend. His name is Jonas Mbutu. Okay, you can't say uh, it the way we would say it here, but it's Mbutu. Okay, he is the son of the chief of the Mutus of Zaire. All right, he grows up after his father abdicates his thr throne and he moves to Nazi Germany at the end of uh, post Nazi. Okay, he grows up just after that era, then moves as a missionary to Haiti to spread the gospel. The man speaks like seven languages. Okay. You know the old joke, what do you call somebody who only speaks one language? An American. All right, but seven languages. He comes to North Georgia, sits in this church, particularly sits in my house, and my little wife would come in and say something to us, and he would always get this look at like... And she would come in with her little North Georgia twang, and we were watching a video of when Beth was born, you know, almost 30 years ago, and, and, and we were like, did we really sound like that then? And he would come in, and he's sitting there, and she'd come in, and she'd say something, you know, and, and he'd go, and she'd leave the room. She, got to, she realized she heard us one day. He said, what did she say? Because he knew English, but he didn't understand the cultural aspect of it. You don't understand what I'm still saying yet, but I'm going to get you there. It's sort of like people from the north want to know, how come everybody down in the south wants to know how you doing? Or how's your mama and them? He's like, do you know my mama? You don't know my mama. But how's your mama and them? I said, just Say it back. Good. How's your mama and them? But I don't know their mama. It's a cultural thing. Just say it. There's some words in the South that don't make sense. 
I remember the first time I encountered somebody from Dahlonega and they said to me, Yens, come here. So my name's Don. I didn't know what Yens meant. All right. But I had to have a translator interpret it for me. Stay with me. This is important. It's sort of like, I thought about the word. What, what, I don't even know. I can't even translate it for people. They're like, he's like, what does shoot fire mean? <laughs> I'm like, there's no way to translate that. So I have to try to interpret it for him. There's a passage uh, that we found here that needs some interpretation. Now, there's, there's, there's a, there's, they, unfortunately, he hasn't done this, this passage, or I would have used it, but there's a, there's a translation of the Bible that is, is greatly despised by most theologians. Again, I'll say greatly despised by most theologians. It's a modern translation. It's actually one of my favorite uh, scriptures, and it's the Passion Translation. And the reason I enjoy the Passion Translation so much is that I have had meals with, with those who made it. I've sat down with them and I heard their heart. And I actually did something that most people don't do. I read the preface. And the preface said this, we have not attempted to make an actual translation, but have tried to produce a culturally relevant explanation of what other translations have made. So when we're looking at it from a, a translation, it's hard to understand. So we had to peel it back and find out what's the cultural references here. And so to get the cultural references of Zechariah, we're going to have to take a look at some things. Now, several years ago, and many of you will not recognize this name, but many of you will, and some of you, some people actually growled when I said this name in the last service, but, but several years ago, I was in a hallway and had an encounter with a man by the name of Jim Baker. Some of you recognize Jim Baker. And Jim Baker was the founder of the PTL Network, went to prison back in the 80s. I was just a boy, but after, I, after he got out of prison, I encountered him as a young pastor. As we began to talk and spend just a moment together, I actually was talking with him, and these were the words that he said to me that have impacted me for 20 years uh, of my life. He said, Don, I would look for a scripture that made my point and never look for the point of Scripture. Let me say that again. He said, I would go through and pick out a Scripture like this one that put uh, verse number 10 back on the screen if you can for me this morning. He said, I'd find this, don't despise these bald beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see, see the work begin. And he'd say, now, now look, it doesn't matter how small your offering is. He said, I was looking for ways to manipulate the Word and not let the Word work. I said, well, what are you going to do about that? He said, it's simple. I learned this in prison. He said, and I'm not condoning what he's done since then. I had an encounter with him in a hallway that changed my life. And he said, always read seven verses before and seven verses after so that you make sure you're peeling back the cultural context of the passage. Now, we're not there yet, but we're getting closer than we were when we started. So to understand this passage, we're going to have to peel back the layers and take a look at it. So let's do that today. Verse number 10 is a very powerful verse. Do not despise the small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Now what we're going to see here is God says this. He says, hey, go ahead and get started 
even if you can't do everything you're supposed to yet. Don't begin to hold yourself back because you can't do everything you think that's expected of you. Wait a minute, hold on. Could I say it this way? Could I say any step forward for God's a good step forward? So he says, look, just because you can't go from, from zero to 100 in a twinkle of an eye, he says, that does, that's not an excuse to stay in your sin. He said, don't despise getting started right. Take a step forward. Begin to move forward. And as you begin to move forward, you're not going to be perfect yet. You're going to fall. You're going to have mistakes. You're going to do things you shouldn't do. There's going to be bad days and good days. There's going to be all these problems. But that's not an excuse not to get started. You go, but I'm not perfect. Well, guess what? None of us are perfect. There's only one perfect. His name is Jesus Christ. But he's saying here, look, I'm going to teach you something that you need to do. And I'm going to get you there. We're not there yet. But it's something that you need to do as the body of Christ. But just because you can't do it all yet doesn't mean you shouldn't start it. And then the next verse, he says this. He says, then they said, the angel asked, what are these two olive trees? He said, these seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. So here's what he's saying is God says, you may not be there yet, but get started because I'm watching. Are you with me? You may not be there yet, but start the process because I'm watching. Some of you are going, well, okay, what application is this? Well, that's a really a pretty good application. You may not be a finished product yet, but God's watching to see you with every step. And with every step, he's sending his presence to help you. Amen. But there's truth here. There's something that God wants to be accomplished before the end of time that we find in a minor prophet that he says, look, you're going to start small, but God's watching. And then the next verse says this. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on each side of the lampstand? How many of you are shouting over that? That's because you don't understand the significance in in the scripture of two olive trees. Two uh, is obviously the number two. Olive trees represents an offspring, uh, something that is the product of something. So there's going to be two uh, offspring of the, here we have, lampstand. Now you're going, Pastor, what is that? We're not there yet, but we're getting there. We're getting closer with each one of these lines. There are going to be two offsprings of the lampstand. Anywhere we find the lampstand, particularly in prophecy, it always points back to, does anybody know? The church. The church. There's going to be some offspring of the church who have a job they need to do. You're going to start small, but God's going to be watching. But get busy because heaven is waiting on you to do what you are supposed to do. Even if you're not all the way there yet, God's watching you. And with each step, it's going to change eternity. All right, now here we go. So, and what are the two olive branches that pour golden oil through the two gold tubes? And you're going, what in the world is that? Well, i got to read a little further for you to understand this. But verse number 13 probably is one of the most encouraging scriptures in the Bible to me about prophecy. He says to him, he said, look, don't you see these lampstands and the olive trees? And don't you see the golden tubes and the oil, oil that's flowing? And he says, don't you know? Don't you get it? And he, he asks, and what does Zechariah say? Nope. You know how encouraging that is? You don't have to get everything. You aren't all the way there yet. Nobody, my goodness, I feel the Holy Spirit. Nobody's expecting you to be perfect. They're just inviting you to start the journey. Now watch this. 
He said, don't you get it? He said, no, Lord, I don't get it. So his response is, then he said to me, they represent, watch this, the two anointed ones. Now, in this, in this building this morning, we found multiple different translations of this passage, the two anointed ones. Uh, the, these are those that are anointed. We have the celestial being anointed ones. All these different things that we found, different translations, take this line and translate it differently. So I left this in here. We're going to come back to that. These are the two anointed ones who stand in the court of the Lord of all the earth. So in other words, watch this. This is important. They're standing where? They're standing on the judicial foundation of the Lord. So there's a small step that needs to get started. God's watching for the small step to get started. It has something to do with some oil and some lampstands. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But then we find, he says, look, let me explain it to you. He says, this is, these are the two anointed ones who stand in the firm place before the Lord. And so we don't understand why, but almost every translation of the scripture gives us a side note, if you've got a study Bible, that leads you to a different translation than the one they included. Because why? They were trying to explain something that really didn't make sense in the culture. So they take it and they put this little subnote. Let's go to the next slide. And the next slide then says that the two anointed ones, but almost every one of them translated the same, are the sons of oil. That there are going to become, they're going to come an offspring out of the church that will be known as the sons of oil in the last day. They shall stand before the Lord in a judicial position to bring about the end of one age and invite another age in. Now we're not there yet, but we're getting closer. Stay with me, okay? Review real quickly. It's okay if this thing starts small because it's going to have a huge impact. He says, I'm watching, I'm watching. He says, then I have appointed and anointed and marked a generation to accomplish the task of ushering in the end. He says, there's going to be something that's going to happen. Now, before I can explain that to you completely, I have to then put it into context with the two passages before it and after it. When I go to Zechariah chapter number three, I realize to understand chapter four, I have to understand chapter three to, so that I can understand four and thus get what chapter five is saying. I've got to keep it in context. So to keep it in context, when I look at Zechariah chapter three, what I find is two men who are what we call types and shadows. I want you to say that with me. What? They're called what? Types and shadows. There are two men that are called types and shadows, which means that something about the way they're living, something about their life is an image of a Messiah that's yet to come. So somehow God places them in a position that something about the way they live somehow proclaim that the king is coming. There's a king coming and he's, his, his name shall be Jesus. I want you to get that. And the Bible says he shall be called the branch. And now the branch that's beautiful branch and, and all of these things begin to be pictured and it's they begin to be pictured, we begin to understand something very significant. That chapter 3 tells me that there's going to be a group of people who will live in such a way that something has happened inside of their lives that becomes a type of shadow or a proclamation to the world that a king is coming. So before the end times can come, God's going to raise up a people. My goodness, I feel God in what I'm trying to tell you today. God's going to raise up a people that will begin to live differently than the world. And there's going to be something inside of them that shows the world that there's going to be a revelation of the coming king and he's not far off because look what he's done in me and look what he wants to do in the world today. 
but we're not there yet. We're almost there. So that tells me what the verses before say, but what do the verses after say? Let me read five and one to you. He says, then I turned and I raised my eyes and I saw there a flying scroll. Now that's all I'm going to read from that, but I want you to understand that chapter five is understood by theologians and those who study prophecy to be the revelation of the seven year tribulation period, that this is the end of time. This is it. So chapter three says, there's going to be some people pointing to a coming king. Chapter four is something to do with some sons of oil. Chapter 5 says things are going to get really bad. Things are going to be tough. So how do I find myself and a revelation to help me live more for Christ to, uh, in these passages? Watch this. Chapter 3 tells me I need to start living in a way that other people can see Jesus in me and know he's coming. Chapter 5 tells me that before the end of all time, things are going to get bad for a seven-year period. They're going to be so bad that it's only going to seem to get worse with every waking moment. People have been saying about this COVID thing. When's it going to get over? I'm ready for my life to go back to normal. The COVID has been nothing more than a sneeze compared to what's going to happen in the future in the tribulation period. So there, watch this now. There's a people that are going to live so that people know that Jesus is coming. And there's going to be a trialing time. So what does chapter four have to do with anything in the middle? He says, I'm going to take a group of people that are going to become, watch this now, who are going to become a, the people who it says they pour out oil upon each other. I'm going to take a group of people that are going to do something significant. And so to understand that in the first service, I had no clue where this was going until the Lord spoke this to me. Pastor Darren, I want you to come help me up here for just a moment. This is the picture you have to get to understand what is waiting. What is God saying? You start, I'll be watching because that's going to cue the end of time. Now watch this. There are going to be two or many, but they're going to be sons of the church. They're going to be called sons of oil. Now, if you see the implication in Zechariah, what we find is a circular pattern that they're going to not stand, turn sideways for me, they're not standing like this, they're standing like this. And as they're standing like this, there's a connection made that the sons of oil shall begin to pour on each other. Now, where am I trying to get? I'm trying to live in a way that shows the world Jesus is coming. I realize that an end time is coming. And so what is the one thing the eyes of the Lord are searching throughout the earth trying to figure out? He's looking for a church. My goodness, I feel the Holy Spirit of God. He's looking for a church who are lined up with each other, who see each other. And then it says that they they don't attack, they don't fight, but they pour out on each other. And they begin to pour upon each other. And as they begin to pour the oil of the power of God upon each other, something begins to happen. My goodness, I feel the Holy Spirit up in this place. That instead of fighting each other and debating with each other over doctrine and trying to decide if their denomination is right or that denomination is right, or if his skin tone is better or my skin tone is better, or all those kind of things, instead we see each other as the children of the Most High God, the children that God has chosen, and we begin to pour oil out upon each other. Are you following what I'm trying to tell you? We begin to pour oil out upon each other, and as we pour the oil 
of God upon each other. What is the oil that is poured? If you'll search through Zechariah, we find that it's called grace and mercy, which means I don't always understand you, but I love you because he loves you. And I may not always understand why you fell the way you did, but he doesn't understand the way I fell. So I'm going to give you the same mercy that I received. I'm going to give to you and we're going to pour out on each other until we see the kingdom of God begin to move upon the earth. Amen. Now what? But see, the world says not to do this. The world says do this. Can I just tell you, I'm intimidated with him just doing that. (laughs) You're not up here grabbing those guns right there. Come on now. All right. But listen, he's my brother who I love. He's in this ministry because we connected. And, And God blessed that pouring that began to happen. And as we began to pour, instead of distancing ourselves from others, we embrace the body of Christ. We embrace him. Oh, Pastor Don, you're just talking about the racial divide that's happening. Well, somebody needs to talk about it. But I'm not just talking about that. Let's just talk about how the Methodists don't like the Baptists. Pentecostals don't like the Charismatics. You want to see somebody really fight, get independent Baptists and Southern Baptists in the same room and they don't get along at all? And that's not the church that's watching and waiting for the return of the Lord. He says, things are going to be so bad. Anybody learn anything today? He said, things are going to get so bad, you're going to need each other more than you could ever imagine. So he said, start small. Start small. Thank you. But the problem is this. Our culture doesn't pour often. It normally sprays and spews. You see, our culture is a bottle of rage that spews more than it pours. You're afraid to pull uh, your eyes up from the cart and nod at somebody because you might get yelled at for being too close. You deal with somebody in a public venue and you don't know if maybe you're going to get attacked. You post something online and you, I mean, you post a picture of a wonderful, cute little something and everybody uses it as a platform to spew hate upon each other. You let this video get out and we need to put a clip of this out. People are like, they just need to move on, preach Jesus. I am preaching Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? If I can't live it with my brothers and sisters in Christ, then the world will never know that he's coming. And I won't have what I need to be equipped. This is so important. We must become people who pour. We must become pourers. Grace and mercy. So, let me close with with this for just a moment. So this week I'm talking with somebody and they said somebody's name. Just said their name. And a fire of unforgiveness, it was like like a volcano came up out of me. 
I spewed unforgiveness everywhere. You could see they were a little taken back. (laughs) Then I remembered I got to preach this sermon. I'm like, oh, you're going to make me confess this in front of everybody. (laughs) And then it gets worse. Not only was I wrong, and I wasn't, I was wronged, but I wasn't wrong that bad. No, no, I didn't say I, I was wrong. I was talking about how, what they did to me. It was bad, but it wasn't that bad. It just ignited a fire in me, like, how dare you say their name in my presence? And I was wrong. Then I walk in to see a friend who has been really wronged. And I watched him conduct himself with integrity and speak of the situation in a pouring way. And I had to repent even more. I had to repent even more. Because I had sprayed or spewed all that bitterness and wrath and stuff all over and I realized I needed this sermon as much as I needed to preach it you never know when you're going to get an opportunity to spray or pour about two years ago I'm at I'm at Avalon and as I waiting at Christmas time to there's only so many parking spots down the closer you get to the city that a big truck will fit in and I'm waiting on the one I can get my truck in and I mean I've been polite I've been waiting I, and the person's sending a thousand texts that I'm waiting on the back out you know and I'm like just move please finally they move and just as I step on the gas this white F-150 almost takes the front of my truck off and parks. And I said, I said, I mean, we almost lost the front of the truck. We may be about to still lose the front of the truck. I was so angry. I wanted to get out and let them have it. How dare you? I just wanted to spew all over them. Something about it being Christmas, just, you know what I'm saying? Just, I don't want to be a Scrooge. I just breathed and drove around. And the only parking spot was like, you know, the Avalon's tiered. And, and it was it's on the one right in front of them. So not only do I am I parked right at them, they're looking down on me now. And staring at me. They realize what they've done, and they're waiting to see how I'm going to respond. I thought, they look familiar. (laughs) They step out of their truck. As I step out of my truck, we make eye contact, and suddenly I realize he pastors 30,000 people in the Atlanta area. That's as far as I'm going to go. If you don't know who that is, you don't need to know. And I looked at him and I thought, thank God. 
that I didn't spray my rage all over him. Because now he's my sermon illustration and I'm not his. Come on now, amen. Yes. Where was I going with that? <laughs> because we all have to make up our minds. Are we going to pour? Or are we going to erupt with rage? That's the world we're living in. God says the end is near. You need to live in such a way that shows people that Jesus is coming. But you better sure up your foundation. Because tough days are ahead and you're going to need the church more than you've ever needed it before. Do you stand with me today? Do you know what the difference between your road rage and my road rage is? You get to stay quiet about yours. somebody in this place God's wanting to touch down inside of you you were wrong this week you were wrong by the customer you were wrong by the the salesperson you were wronged by the neighbor you were wronged by so many people so what are you going to do you're going to start pouring you're going, okay, we need a revival to pour out the presence of God over the world. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't despise starting small. Because you're not ready to pour upon the world if you can't pour upon your spouse. If you can't pour on the children in the room next to you, then you can't pour on the neighbor next door. Come on now. You'll never never pour out revival upon the world. So I want you to bow your heads in this place. I'm talking to everyone present, everyone watching. This is important. This is your moment. This is your day. Some of you are in the same boat that I'm in. Maybe you thought you dealt with something, but something has caused it to arise. And this is not an opportunity for you to go to that person and spray all over them by making a statement like, I need you to forgive me. It's just a moment for you to pour grace and mercy out on them and just forgive them. But there's bitterness inside of you. There's a struggle inside of you. There's a war inside of you you need God to forgive you for. This sermon has been done for three weeks. God's speaking to you. I preached this at, at our, our Winder campus on Wednesday night. I'm, I'm telling you, God's speaking to you. This is not written for anyone in the room. I did not know your circumstances when this was, I've already preached this. I'm telling you, if there's a, if there's a, something inside of you that's that, that, that's liable to boil up and come out, you need to repent of it just like I'm repented in front of you. I want to see your hand if you'd say, that's me, I need God to help me. Come on, hold them up high, hold them up high. Hands all over this place.
Thank you, you can put those down. God's going to heal you. God's going to heal you. I'm about to pray, but who am I waiting for? Who should have, but you're fighting such a battle? Who am I waiting for? There's somebody else that says, yeah, Pastor, it's going to be tough, but I'm willing to do it. Is there somebody else, quickly, that you should raise your hand a second and go, but you didn't yet? Can I see your hand if that's you? All right, I see that up there. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. Put those hands all down. I didn't embarrass one of those people. I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to ask you today, the Bible says they poured grace and mercy out upon each other. If we're going to pour grace and mercy out upon each other, then we have to have received grace and mercy. He that is forgiven much is also able to forgive much. And maybe you're in this place today or maybe you're watching today and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Nobody's looking around and everybody's praying. Nobody's going to embarrass anybody. This is your moment. This is your time. For you to say, I can't give what I haven't received. And I'm willing to receive God's forgiveness, grace, and mercy and surrender my life to him as my Savior. If that's you, this is your moment. This is your time. I'm going to pray with you right where you are. If that's you, I want to see your hand right where you are. Get it up quick and high. Thank you. Are there others? Are there others? This is it. This is it. This is your moment. This is your time. Are there others? Waiting on you. All right, this is how we're going to pour right now. This one that has said, today's my day. Maybe there are others I didn't see. Maybe there's some online that are saying, today's my day. I'm going to receive right now. We're going to pour on them by praying with them as somebody prayed with us. And then I'm going to pray for all that responded. Let's pray together. Jesus, by faith, I believe your promises. I give you my life, my failures, my sins, my future, my everything. Heavenly Father, now I receive your grace and mercy. And in Jesus' name, I am forgiven. I confess Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. I'm going to stop you all right there for a moment. Somebody that's praying that prayer with me right now, you think what you did is just too big to be washed away so simple. Listen to me. Listen to me. There will always be consequences of pain to life's issues. But when it comes to where you stand in the court of the Lord, before God, the witnesses before the Lord, what that scripture said, that happens by what's about to happen right here, what we're about to declare. We're going to declare that Jesus is Lord once again pray for everybody. And now let's finish this prayer. And I declare that Jesus is Lord of my life. And from this moment forward, God is my father. Heaven is my home. Jesus is my savior. Father, I thank you for those that prayed that for the very first time today. I thank you for the many that will receive it as it goes forth. And Lord, I thank you that you've taught us something deep in the word today. For you found us a people who are able to understand even deeper than we could imagine the truth that you're revealing to us, that Jesus is coming and you want us to start blessing others so that you can say, look, they're ready. They're ready for me to come. Lord, thank you. You see every hand that was raised, every ounce of bitterness, 
every ounce of unforgiveness. Lord, I thank you that right now in the name of Jesus, there's some, some, some sin that has affected these, these individuals. And what's going to happen is the pain afflicted upon the parent is trying to pass down even further through the generations. Lord, it stops now by the blood of Jesus Christ. It stops here. It will not bind generations, Lord. It stops here. Lord, I thank you for the anointing that breaks the yoke of the bondage of sin. And Lord, we declare that through Christ we shall do valiantly. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Isn't God good to us? That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at War Hill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now.